This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. This week in the build-up to Paris and the final ATP Masters 1000 of the year, we are joined by the coach of France's top-ranked player, the mercurial Gail Monfils, who's called time on his season. We're also with Monsieur Goffin and Mademoiselle Mertens as they went head-to-head for Belgian bragging rights. But first, ahead of the Rolex Paris Masters, we're with two of France's brightest prospects, the multi-talented Corentin Moutet, who's been hitting all the right notes recently on and off the court. But first, the champion of Antwerp last week, who's scaling new and dizzy heights this year, Hugo Humbert. Stretching on the one-handed slices, Hugo Humbert is being pulled left and right, just gets that back into play. Big forehand into it from Ina, then a deep backhanded reply from Humbert, who's scampering towards the net, up goes the defensive lob, it's going to land out! Brilliant from Humbert to turn defence into attack! I started tennis when I was five years old. I wanted to play because my father did and I liked it right away. I decided quite quickly that I wanted this to become my profession. I left for the Federation at the Pole France in Poitiers when I was 12. I was living in Metz and therefore it wasn't very close. I had to take the train for four hours. I was lucky that my parents gave me the choice to leave. I took the decision to leave because it was really what I wanted to do. My parents didn't come to visit me very often in Poitiers because they had to work. Since I was injured, I sometimes spent the weekends at home. It wasn't easy not to play tennis, with tennis the reason for me being there. Something was missing. And of course, family is important as well. Very important. I was injured for almost one and a half years because of growth injuries. I was growing a lot. Sometimes I thought about stopping, but when I told my parents about it, they told me it was my decision, that I decide. I liked very much what I did, so I kept fighting and thinking that it was improving and that I could play again soon. I had a strong character already back then. That's also why the coaches believed in me and kept me, even if I hadn't played for a year. It wasn't easy, but I always thought about the fact that I really love tennis. First of all, tennis is a game for me. It's fun. That's also why I love tennis. But for me, it also means that it is a personal challenge. I really want it. It's more like a fulfillment. I want to prove myself that I can do great things in this sport. It's also because of that that I love tennis and that I enjoy being on court every day, practicing and fighting against my opponents. That's what I love more than anything about tennis. I do sometimes think about where I came from to arrive where I am now. I was lucky to have the right people around me and to have made the right decisions, met the right people who helped me to improve and become who I am today. 
I think it's important for me to leave a mark. I would like to show my values. I'm humble and hardworking. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I don't forget where I came from. I want people to see that I enjoy myself when they watch Hugo Humbert. I want them to play as well. Et euh, ouais, j'ai envie que les gens ils se disent, bah, quand on regarde Hugo Humbert, euh, j'espère que ouais, je vais donner envie. Or that à they want to try at least when they watch. Et euh, voilà, c'est aussi mon objectif. Alors, moi, je parle I wouldn't speak de, about sacrifices, even if there has to be some. I think it's a choice and a pleasure. And also a dream. Euh, voilà, I've always dreamt to do this. So when I take tough decisions, I don't forget why I'm doing this. It's because I really want to become a tennis player. So for me it's important. It's not a sacrifice. I think I worked for this, and if I'm here today, I don't think it is unbelievable, because I really wanted it to happen, and I've worked for it. That's the most important thing. I'm always curious to see what will happen next, if I will continue to do my job, to work hard. And I think that nice things can happen. And from one multi-talented Frenchman to another. Moutet puts up the high, 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 high ball. Lands in. Djokovic plays the overhead to the Moutet backhand. It's in short. Djokovic coming in up the line. Moutet with the lob. Djokovic high overhead. Moutet up the line. Winner! First album. So it's... Yeah, it's good. Like the Destiny is uh, doing good. J'ai vu mes rêves venir s'effacer dans le décor, moi. J'ai vu mon père se faire remplacer par un homme. Moi qui croyais pouvoir naviguer dans le calme. I start to play, I, I think my first step in the music were uh, with the piano. I start to play piano a little bit when I was injured uh, at 14 or 15 years old. Uh, I broke my, uh, my right uh, leg. So I've, I, I was out for six months. Uh, so that's where I start to play piano. I, I had nothing else to do uh, during the day except a little bit of fitness, but uh, like not too much because my, I couldn't use my leg. So yeah, I start uh, with the piano. I was playing a lot, like four or five hours per day. Uh, and then I stopped when I was able to play again because I didn't have time anymore. Now I'm only writing uh, uh, my songs and I'm trying to find the music with uh, all the people that I know or even on uh, YouTube or internet. There is many, many things to find music now. Je m'en vais naviguer sur les vagues. Vas-y rêve. Hein? Qu'est-ce que tu croyais? Tu vois pas que je suis I wanted to finish my first uh, EP uh, during the quarantine. So uh, I've always loved uh, as I said I start with the piano so I wanted to have uh, one song inside with only voice and piano uh, with a long solo of piano and I I couldn't do it because uh, my uh, my uh, skills are not that good anymore so uh, on Instagram one of the good things of Instagram is uh, that uh, the, the guy texted me uh, because he knew that I was doing uh, music uh, and he texted me uh, like, uh, do you want to do something together? I watched uh, uh, what he was doing and he was like really, really good, uh, really good pianist. Uh, that's where we start. He 
sent me a first version and then we modify uh, some uh, some things. And uh, honestly, I, I didn't have to modify too many things because the guy was really good. And uh, now we are like talking a lot. Uh, he's a, let's say, good friend now. So yeah, he's uh, definitely a good pianist. He did a good job. I think if you listen to my music and uh, listen to the lyrics, you can find more about my personality. I think it's, music for me is really like personal. Uh, so you can find similar things than I than you can see on court, of course. But I think it's two different things because in in uh, in music you have to think think a lot uh, about uh, your emotion, about your feelings at the moment, and uh, think uh, a lot about the past. So and I think on court it's better to be in present and uh, think uh, the less uh, <laughs> that you can. So it's really different uh, different uh, job, different. Uh, Way to, to, to act. J'ai vécu dans une fable, mais j'ai tourné la dernière page. Rien n'a de sens si tu n'es plus là. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. During lockdown earlier this year, Belgium's finest, David Goffin and Elise Mertens, joined Vasek Pospisil and Bethany Matek Sands for the Tennis United Speed Challenge. Simple rules five seconds to name three answers. All right, we're going to start with the first question to David. Name three things pros could yell after winning a great point. Go. Unless that was that was like gibberish. Unless that was another language that that we don't speak. I, we could do an instant <laughs> replay to see if that was a different language, but I don't know. I yeah. saw panic in let's, his eyes. Let's go. So. Let's do a slow mo instant replay right now. <laughs> That was a tough one. So, all right, Elise, are we ready? Yeah. Okay. Name three American tennis players. Go. Risk, Risk, Williams, and Matthew Sands. Boom! Oh, <laughs> she has like four seconds left. Oh my God. <laughs> she had the questions before, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she has them on the side. So, all right, are we ready? Name three French players. Go. Uh, Mon fils, Benoit Père, Luc Capouille. Right up his alley. <laughs> right up his alley. Okay, this is a tough one. A tough one, yeah. Well, this is, this is directed at you. A tough one. Uh, name three teenage tennis players. Uh, Kenan, Andriescu, and uh, Coco. Go. Kenan's 21. Is Kenan. Oh. That's uh, unfortunate. That counts. Oh, that is unfortunate. <laughs> that was oh close, no. That was so close. Close. All right, all right, David. Here we go. I got, I got you. Name three lefties on tour. Go. Uh, Rafa Verdasco and Lopez. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Elise. I put pressure on your shoulder now. Oh no. Uh, all right, Elise, Elise, I got you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you the question that David did not get. So, are you ready? Name three things that pros would yell out after winning a point. Go. Ali, Ali, vamos, come on. I wanted more, more uh, excitement, Elise, in your uh, when you were screaming. We, we have to give her half a point for that. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask David the next question. I think this is a great one. And I don't know if you'll get this one. 
Uh, David, name three retired bald players with no hair. Go. Uh, David Enko, Ljubicic, and Medvedev. Oh my god. Wow. I got it. You got it. You got it. I was, wow. All right, Elise. Okay. Name three things that you would bring on a flight. Go. Pillow, um, sleeping pills, and a mask, eye mask. Wow, sleeping pills. <laughs> I don't know, a lot of wow. <laughs> it was the first thing that came up. Uh, we'll accept it. <laughs> we will accept it. Last question each. Debbie, I got you. Here we go. Are we ready? Okay, I'm ready. Name three former ATP world number ones. Uh, Lendl, um... Becker and McEnroe. Oh my god, he got it. Was it? Did yeah, he get it? Of course, it? of course I got it. Of course. I... <laughs> Way to sneak it in there. Okay, Elise. <laughs> to stay in the game. Name three Wimbledon traditions. Uh, white shoes, uh, white socks and white clothes. Oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I wish... I wish we could count? accept that one. No, 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 no. We we can't we can't accept that one. It was it was good. It, it's definitely one tradition. All white, all white clothes. But we're gonna have to give the win to to David on this one. champion. Ah, Elise, you were such a good opponent. I'm so sorry for you. Congrats, congrats. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Gail Monfils and Daniel Medvedev manipulate time and distance to their advantage to lead the ATP Tour in returns made in the past two seasons. Monfils and Medvedev take up residence far behind the baseline, which reduces the effect of the power of the serve and increases the time to prepare to return. Monfils puts an impressive 75% of first serves back in play, considerably greater than the 67.5% average of the 37 players that qualified for the analysis. He's never lacked the skills, nor the feel, Monfils. There were eight players overall who made more than 70% of their first serve returns, with Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer and Medvedev hot on the heels of Monfils' tour leading average. Medvedev, meanwhile, led second serve returns in, being right on the threshold of putting nine out of every ten second serve returns back in the court. Oh, yes! And he is in complete control now, leading by a set and a break. Medvedev moved up from fourth best, making first serve returns, to lead second serve returns, with 89.7% put back in play. The data set average was significantly lower, at 83.3%. Roberto Bautista Agut, Novak Djokovic and Alexander Zverev all made their way high up the list, of leading players returning second serves. Swats that one away. Standing up in the court to return serve allows the returner to rebound the serve back quickly, to take time away 
and extract an error. Standing further back, like Monfils and Medvedev prefer to do, allows more time to hit the maximum amount of returns back in play to begin the point. This is just another layer of our sport where players seemingly step out of the box with a strategy to enhance their specific game style. Thanks to ATP Uncovered and Infosys for that. Unfortunately, we won't get to see Gael Monfils again this year with the Frenchman calling time on his season with a neck injury picked up in Vienna. But we do have some radio gold with his coach, Liam Smith. He joined us on the line and put some unexpected spare time to good use by building his ultimate player. First up, the serve. And he'd been thinking long and hard about his two main contenders. For me, that was a that was a, a very close race between Sampras and and Kyrgios because for me, uh, Sam, Pete Sampras' serve was something incredible, and his ability under pressure was incredible. Um, but Kyrgios, for me, the the serve uh, I, I I know him very well from from a young kid and and have a personal relationship with him. And for me, just his serve is just something amazing. Um, the quality of that first serve, the pace, the accuracy, the consistency of it. I mean. In, in my opinion, it's uh, Novak Djokovic is the is the best returner in, in in our sport, maybe one of the best returners that's ever ever played tennis. And I sat there courtside in Acapulco and I saw Kyrgios serve 27 aces past him in two sets, first and second serve. I've just never seen anything like that. And just being on the court with him, seeing that serve, you know, come towards me, I. I have a massive respect for that serve, and I think it's, uh, it's if, if I if I have if I was picking someone to serve for me, uh, I would pick Nick uh, every day. So had to go with Nick. You say you've known him for a, for a long time. It, he gives across this, you know, the persona of of not really caring uh, about or, or everything coming very easy. That serve is it just naturally God given, or has that been honed uh, over many 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 hours out there on court? Well, I think people forget, you know, you, you can be really talented and, and Nick certainly is really talented, but nothing comes to the level that, that, that it is for him without putting a certain amount of work in. And I think his, his coach when he was um, a young player, Todd Larkham and, and, and coaches later on like Simon Ray and people that have worked with him and, and, and himself have done an amazing job of how he spent time practicing it, working on it and... Um, yeah, don't, don't think that he didn't put a lot of time into that service. It's obviously natural. It's obviously a, a, a God-given ability to have such an amazing arm that he has. But he's also put a lot of work in. And I think people don't always give him credit for that effort that he put in, especially when he was younger, because nobody gets to even the top 100 in the world without, even the top 500 without putting in a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears. So... And just finally on Nick, before we move on to the forehand, um, do you sometimes watch on and just kind of wish to yourself that he did find himself a coach? That that he, he, you know, is he missing out through not having a coach or is that just him now? Well, you know, Nick is Nick and it's his personality. And um, I think he's a really potentially a great player. He's a, he's a super talent. and But he, he has to find his own, his own way and he has to do things the way that, that he feels works for him. And I understand that also that if he doesn't feel like the, that there's coaches that uh, he wants to listen to right now or be told what to do or work together as, in a collaboration, that's okay too. 
and maybe in the future he'll find the right balance for him. And, and who knows, maybe he's going to win massive Grand Slams one day with, without a coach. It's, it's possible. I hope not, otherwise we'll all have, not have a job. But, <laughs> you know, I think eventually he might find someone that um, works for him or, you know, with Nick being, you know, his personality, it's, it's not really about a coach telling him what to do. It's just about somebody maybe that could collaborate with him and help him here and there and, and just, you know, find ways to make him enjoy what he's doing. And, yeah, we'll see in the future what happens. But, uh, as I said, Nick is Nick. And uh, I think he's really good for our sport in, in many ways. So... Oh, I'd second that. I, uh, he's one player that I just simply love, love to watch. Um, on to another player I love to watch. For the forehand, you've gone with the Roger Federer forehand. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just amazing, that forehand. It's uh, the, the racket head speed, the quality of it. And um, yeah, even going back many years ago, when Roger was even more dominant than now, and just the quality of his forehand, what he can do with it, and also his ability with the low ball. He can take a low short ball and he can zip it anywhere in the court really fast with this amazing racket speed and feeling. And yeah, I just think it's, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's the best forehand that's, uh, that's been in tennis, really, in terms of the consistency, how it is under pressure. And, uh, and also, it's, it's really a, a beautiful thing to look at. It's just a, a great swing and everything. It's just, yeah. The consistency even on the side spin he gets, that's the thing that flabbergasts me. The angles he can create, the pace, he can change the speed, he can change the rhythm, the height, the depth. He can do everything with it. It's like a complete shot. And uh, it's also, you know, it's a proven shot because he's won 20 Grand Slam titles and over 100 titles. So that's part of it too. And, and that's what was, you know, that was almost what had me going with Sampras over Curiosity because, again, it's, the, it's a more proven serve. But... Yeah, I think when, when you've done what Roger's done in, in the sport, it's, it just shows that that forehand really is uh, it's everything about him, but especially the forehand, I think it's amazing. And you split the backhand in two and you, you went with Roger's slice backhand. J- just quickly before we get on to, to the topspin backhand and who you went with there, um, what do you particularly like about Roger's block or slice backhand? Well, I had to I had to add the slice because nobody was adding the slice, and I feel like that's important. And I think a lot of young players these days they don't develop their slice backhand enough. Um, and I think the thing about Rogers is is for me it's just always been amazing how how much ball speed and quality he has on that slice and how low it stays, and then also his ability to change the speed and the court position and move move the players into different parts of the court with that slice. And also, people don't give him credit for it, but his, his return, his chip, his sort of chip or block return with a sort of a block slice, sort of a backhand, mm. especially at Wimbledon. I mean, I remember watching him play Roddick and Roddick was serving absolute rockets everywhere and he was putting everything in the court deep and it was, it was literally like uh, the serve was neutralized. And, and that's sort of a part of that. So I had to, I felt like I had to include it. And I think as much as I love Ken Rosewall and, and he, he had an amazing slice backhand and everyone talks about it. Um, I just feel like, the, yeah, again, it's, it's the 20 grand slams and it's just the, the, the style of uh, Roger goes about it. So, and he's a great guy. So, uh, and for the, I guess the topspin backhand, you, you could have gone for Roger. His isn't bad, but you've gone for his countryman, um, Stan Barinka. Lots of people obviously talk about Stan's backhand. It's a thing of beauty that there are many actually top spin, single top spin backhands out there at the moment. But um, why is Stan's so good? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a one-handed player myself. I have a one-handed backhand, so I was biased when it came to the backhand. I, was, I thought, you know what, everyone goes with, you know, and, and fair enough, Djokovic, Agassi, Nishikori, you know, Kafelnikov, they go with, 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 with the two-handed backhands. But I decided to go with a one-hander for, for that sort of personal reason. And for me, I just think Stan's one-hander is, is, is amazing. It's, it's something, you know, Gail and Stan are good friends and they practice together a lot. So... I've, I've, you know, I've seen it firsthand standing there on the court, how amazing it is many times. And as fast as Gail is, sometimes Stan can still get it past him with that one-handed backhand. So it's just, a, for me, it's a thing of beauty and his ability to, to hit it on a clay court and, and hit the ball when it's up high, when it's in different parts of the court and the power that he has from that one-hander, it's just, it's something special. And I think... Um, you know, he's, he's a three-time Grand Slam champion as well. People, unfortunately, people forget that because you've got Roger with 20 and Rafa with 19 and Novak with 17. It's like everyone else doesn't count. But by all, all measures, he's a, he's, a, he's a legend of the sport as well. So, um, yeah, I had, to go, I had to go with Stan's back end on that one. You mentioned that he's, he's so good at the high ball. And it is, that is the toughest part of it, isn't it? And it's the, the reason why lots of people, I guess, choose to coach as a double-hander. What, what allows Stan to get a, over that, that high-bouncing backhand? Is it just, does he just have an incredibly strong wrist? What, what is it? He has, he has a very good technique. Like people don't, you know, he, his backhand's beautiful, the way he swings, the swing shape, and his acceleration, his contact points, and, and also one of the things that people don't see is, is the footwork, the positioning, the sort of the work and attention to detail he makes about how he positions his body to hit that ball. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't make the highlight real. No one, no one focuses on the, where the feet are, but he does a really amazing job with that. And uh, also his ball off the backhand is so heavy. I think that's one of the hardest things to create with a one-hander is to hit the ball really, really heavy with a, a heavy spin and it's jumping up off the court. I mean, it's, it's almost like having Rafa's forehand coming from a one-handed backhand. It's, that, it's such good quality. And I think um, his physicality, how, how strong he is and how he uses his body is, is a big part of it. Dominic team coming in a close second of, of the current players? Yeah, absolutely. Dominic's is, is close. But uh, like I said, Stan at the moment is a three-time Grand Slam champion. And to win Roland Garros with a one-handed backhand is not... not a, it's a tough thing to do, I think, especially these days. And uh, so guys like Stan, Guga, and all, all those other guys that have done it with the one-hander, it's, it's, it's something impressive for me as well. For your volley, Liam, you've gone for Stefan Edberg. Why, why have you gone with the great Swede? Yeah, he's just a class act. Uh, and uh, his volley, for me, uh, are the best ever. Um, I think, it's, I think it's, it's from a coaching perspective as well. If you had any example you could ever give to a kid about how to use their legs and get down low and how to, to move on the court, it would be Stefan Egberg. Obviously, John McEnroe's volley is amazing, incredible hands, and Pat Rafter. And I mean, there's many through history that have had great games and great volleys. But for me, Egberg, the complete package, his shot selection, his sort of the quality that he put with his movement, his positioning, the way he cut the angle, how he used his legs. I also think it's an amazing example for, and, and sadly we don't do this enough in tennis, we don't show some of those legends to the kids these days and, and show them how did Stefan get down and play those low volleys and things, and, and we should do that more, and I try to do that. But yeah, I think from, from that perspective, uh, yeah, I have to, yeah, just class act, class volleys, and, and, a, and a great example. 
I often lament the fact that the serve volley seems to have gone out of the game. If if you were coaching Stefan Edberg now on today's tour, would you be coaching him to serve volley? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if he would want me, but uh, if if that if that were to ever happen, uh, yeah. I mean, look, you got to go. I believe you got to go with your strengths. I, I believe that it doesn't matter what the others are doing. If you're strong in a certain area of your game, you've got to go strength against strength and be willing to do that sometimes and sort of back yourself and be confident in what you're doing. And if, if, if that's the strongest part of your game and that's how you're, you're most successful, then sure, why not? I mean, maybe in today's game with the passing shots and the way that the players can defend and dip the ball, it's, it's harder. It's, it's more difficult to be an out-and-out serve-and-volley player. But I think that you could maybe mix it in and have the surprise element and use, still use that strength of your game in, in, a, in a slightly different way and, and make it effective but yeah if you if you have something like that you've got to try to find a way to use it your all-time greatest returner um given what you've said already no, and probably no surprise Novak Djokovic yeah I mean it's just it's crazy good <laughs> it's uh, he's not as aggressive a, necessarily as aggressive a returner as maybe Agassi was um Agassi just a hero of mine amazing player but uh, I think with Novak the thing that's so, so amazing is how many balls he puts in the court and the quality of the return. You know, it's, it's so difficult to ace him. It's so difficult to get three points. And when he gets his racket on the ball, that ball is coming back fairly deep and is keeping a certain amount of pressure on you. And he's asking that question of you all the time. There's like never a break. And yeah, it's just uh, his returns for me are just incredible. And what does that come down to? Is it, is it just better anticipation technique combination of the two how is he doing it better as a, from a coaching perspective it looks like he's you know this technique is really good he's probably put loads of hours into working on it and his his hand-eye coordination his perception the way he reads the ball and the servers and you know a whole load of things that go into that and um yeah just god-given talent on the return maybe as well uh, as well as all the hard work and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a better question for him. I can't do it justice. <laughs> two more, two to go. Movement and mindset, uh, the two M's to finish. Movement, um, you've you've gone with your man, Gail Monfils. What, what what makes him so good and how much of that is God-given and how much of that is, is uh, training and, and the hard yards? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anybody faster on a court than Gail, to be honest. And... Um, also, his, how explosive he is, how he can jump and reach balls and explode and react and go up for the, for the slam dunk overheads and how incredibly quick and, and good he is in moving to the drop shots. I mean, it's, his movement is something that's incredible. And um, as much as I respect how well Novak moves, how well Nishikori, Murray, Rafa, Roger, or many players... You know, Radu Albot, Diego Schwartzman, they move incredible as well. But for me, Gail just has that little bit more explosion and that little bit more speed. Um, so I had to go with I had to go with Gail on that one for sure. Um, and I think people forget he's a great athlete. He's a, he's a, he's a, a huge talented athlete, and there is a certain amount of God-given talent that, that goes into having that like level of movement and explosion. But like I said about Kyrgios too. You, you don't reach the sort of level that, you, that, that these guys are at without putting in a lot of work. And there's a lot of physical training. Again, he's had lots of good physical training since he was a young kid growing up and 
all the way through his career. So he's developed his body. So he's, he's improved what he had. And even now we do, we do spend a lot of time doing a lot of strength training, plyometric training, elastic bungees, different things to, to keep that speed and explosion and, and keep trying to improve the, the movement as well. I feel like he's actually moving really well this year because it's even more efficient. So it's a yeah, combo. And, and finally, the mindset, the mental game, the mental map, the thing that keeps it all the top two inches, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, well, you tell us who you've gone with. Rafa Nadal, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's just, he's amazing. His mindset, his, his work, you know, everything about him when he goes on the court to compete is, uh, is something incredible. And um, an example for young kids, he's the best example you could ever possibly have is, is Rafa. Um, the way he fights on the court, the way he finds solutions to the problems, how tough he is, how he never backs down. It's just, yeah, it's, I think it's the ultimate mindset that if, of any tennis player could ever wish to have and uh, massive credit to him as well. I mean, everything else, I, don't, don't get me wrong, I would take his game any day also, but given that we had to pick one from each category, you know, we had to go with Rafa for that. Our thanks to Liam Smith and you can get more from Liam, including coaching tips for every level at lcstennis.com. No Gael Monfils in Paris, but Rafael Nadal will be in action and leading the charge at this week's Rolex Paris Masters. Remember, you can follow every minute of the action on ATP Tennis Radio. We have live ball-by-ball commentary through TuneIn and the ATP Tour website. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again on the podcast next week when we will reflect on the very best of Paris. Paris.